today, uh, happy Mother's Day. Um, we are also going to turn to John chapter 10. We're continuing in um, this account of Jesus' interaction. It's an account that actually began last week in John chapter 9 with um, the story of Jesus' pursuit of the man born blind. It was a man that uh, the Pharisees had cast out, but Jesus sought him out. The story continues this week. As Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees, with the, the Jewish leaders, um, this week he continues with a story. My Bible tells me that it is a figure of speech, an illustration perhaps, one that they didn't understand and so one that he would go on to explain. Before we look to his word, let's look to him in prayer. Would you bow with me? Father, this is, this is your word. Every bit of it is God-breathed. And it is for us, for our growth, for our understanding that we might know and love Jesus. That we might learn to follow him, to live the life of abundant grace and joy that is ours in Christ. And so I pray today as we look to this word that, that I would decrease, that Jesus would increase, that we would see him more clearly, more abundantly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. 
For I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was, again, a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Whether you know it, or not, most of us do not know, the music team which so ably leads us in worship, they gather here early on Sunday mornings. They gather at 7 o'clock to begin getting, uh, making preparations. And one of the first preparations that they make is that they tune their instruments. I don't pretend to know all or, quite frankly, much about musical instruments, but I think I understand that They get out of tune throughout the week. Maybe it's because of the humidity. Maybe it's because of temperature change. Maybe it's just because they ride in the case and are carried around. But they must be tuned so that the music team can use them to make the beautiful music that leads us in worship. The same is true for Christ followers. We get out of tune. (laughs) We get out of tune as we... As we walk around throughout the week, maybe in the August heat, it's the humidity and temperature, but mostly it's just our desires, our engagement in the world. Before we can sing, we need to tune our hearts to hear. But you see, to tune is to bring into alignment with with a certain standard. There are standard musical notes that instruments are tuned by, but for our hearts, we are tuned by, by another standard. The religious leaders in, in John 9 and 10, well, quite frankly, in all of Scripture, they had a particular song that they sang, a song that they were trying to tune us by, and that song was not a song of grace trying to align the people with their song. And it was a song of, of, of man-centered obedience. It was a song marked not by, by relationship, but by duty. Last week, Jesus exposed that song, and he exposed it by virtue of, of his actions. They, they cast the, the man who had been born blind out of the of the temple, but Jesus, by his actions, sought him out, pursued him graciously. That was last week. This week, Jesus contrasts the song by virtue of his teaching. The figure of speech we offered was in verses 1 through 5, but they didn't understand that. Maybe you didn't understand it either. I struggled with it. But Jesus graciously offered an explanation in verses 7 through 18. And in that explanation, he offers for us 
two more powerful I am statements. Those I am statements that we've been seeing throughout John's gospel that spoke clearly to the deity of Christ and to some attribute of his ministry. We have two more of these here. The first one is this. Jesus tells the people then and us today in verse 7, I am the door. Jesus is the door who provides access. Jesus is the consummate teacher. And he's teaching through word picture. A word picture that that they would have been familiar with, that would have made sense to them. He's speaking about the sheep pen. You see, in their villages, the villages they grew up in, the villages they lived in, there would have been uh, a common sheep pen. Think to yourself, a corral somewhere in the the village, maybe in the village center, where the people would have kept their sheep. It would have been a common place for them to keep their sheep. There would have been one point of entry, one point of access, the door. Sheep would have gone in through that door. The shepherds would have gone through that door to get to the sheep. Can Can you visualize the scene? Jesus is taking that imagery. And he's applying it to his ministry. And as he does so, he says, I am the door. As we just said, the the door was used for the sheep. It was also used for the shepherds. And so, in what sense is Jesus the door? Is it for the sheep or for the shepherds? Well, both. Both. Verse Eight, Jesus says, I am the door to the sheep. The door by which the shepherds access the sheep. Make no mistake about it, when Jesus is saying this, he's calling out the false shepherds. The false teachers, those who were using the sheep to reinforce their their self-importance who were using the sheep to reinforce their own self-centered view of God, they were trying to gain access to the sheep, not through the door, not, not according to God's ordained means, but they were hopping over that fence because they had their own purpose. They had their own purpose in, in getting to the sheep. Jesus is calling them out. He did that. He spoke truth. And he exposed the the Pharisees by this word of truth, calling them thieves and robbers. This this imagery and in fact this accusation should not have been new to them. The Old Testament is is full of of these illustrations of, of the false shepherds who, rather than feeding the sheep, were feeding on the sheep. Teachers of the law, the teachers of the Old Testament would have, should have been familiar with the imagery, but Jesus is now applying it to them. As you and I think about uh, this, we ought to consider it from several perspectives. Number one, the word convicts. Jesus spoke the word to convict. Jesus is gracious. He is loving. He speaks truth. 
and he spoke truth to convict these false shepherds. He's also calling us as the sheep to, to discernment, to tune our hearts by the word of Christ, to hear the message of the gospel, to hear the voice of the true shepherds. So in that condemnation, Jesus is condemning those who, who would seek to gain access to the sheep for their own self-serving purposes. You see, there's a vast difference uh, between a shepherd who is self-serving and a shepherd who is God-exalting. One knows and serves Jesus. One knows and serves self this is a weighty message. It's a weighty message that I offer with a sense of fear and trembling as I stand as a shepherd in this pulpit to speak this word. It's a, it's a weighty message for the sheep and the shepherds. As I consider it, uh, I, I point out to you something that Michael pointed out to me as we examined this text and preparation for worship did you notice that in verse 8 Jesus said all who came before me were thieves and robbers not not some who came before me all who came before me are thieves and robbers listen on some level thievery is in all of us it is We've got to wrestle with that. We've got to be honest about it. And so the shepherds who access the sheep by the door, by God's ordained means, they too have thievery in their hearts, but they are seeking the sheep through the door by seeking to put to death that thievery that is within them. They're walking in honest, vulnerable dependence upon the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The shepherds who would, who would enter through the door have the same root disease in their heart, but they're seeking to put it to death by the work of the Holy Spirit in them, trusting in Christ. They are following Paul's admonition, follow me as I follow Christ. As we the sheep seek to discern the shepherds, rather than perfection, we're looking for dependence. Shepherds who would shepherd the sheep. Be dependent upon Christ. It's a call to discernment and a call to right followership. Not sure if that's a word. We'll make it one. That we as sheep and shepherds would follow Christ. Then in verse 9, Jesus says, I am not merely the door to the sheep. I am the door for the sheep. Sheep still are going through that same door to get to the sheepfold, to, to be a part of that community. And Jesus is saying there is one way. For the shepherds, there is one way for the sheep. And it is only, only through Christ. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only door to community. Jesus is the only door to blessing. Jesus is the only door to life. And so as Jesus speaks of being the door for the sheep, he's, he's opening up where he's going to go in the rest of this passage. You see, there he's talking about access 
It's what a door does. The gate opens to allow access. Jesus is that door. Jesus is that, that gate. And then in verse 10, there's this beginning of transition. Jesus is he's contrasting his ministry with that of, of the adversary, the devil. And those who are his spiritual offspring, the false shepherds. And he's differentiating his purposes and his effects. It's a transition that leads us, and then in verse 11, to the second powerful I am statement. There in verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd who provides life. This is the main thrust of the passage. His statement of, of being the door is, is meant to, to uh, be fulfilled and, and further explained in this description of him as the good shepherd. He says it there in verse 11, verses 12 and 13. He connects the, the discussion of the door to the false shepherds, those shepherds who, who ran when the going got tough. They ran away when the, when the wolves came because their focus was not for the people of God. The focus was on self. They ran away. And then in verses 14 through 18, Jesus repeats this statement and further explains its meaning. The context of his unique ministry. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. There's an emphasis on I am. It speaks to his deity. There's also I am the good shepherd. That word good, there are different Greek words for good, but the word used here speaks of supreme. Jesus is not a good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. We've been talking in our family about uh, teachers over the... Um, course of a, an educational career as we're preparing for a transition in our home. Uh, it's been a time of reminiscing, at least for Anna and I. Uh, and so we, 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 we reflected on the many good teachers that have blessed our kids over the years. But when we speak of those good teachers, we think of someone, uh, a man or woman, and we say they were a good teacher. They were, they were one am, among many. Jesus is not one among many. Jesus is not a good teacher. Jesus is the good teacher. Yes, shepherds learn from Jesus' ministry. Yes, Jesus is a model for faithful shepherds. But here in this text, he is speaking to his unique ministry as Savior. And so he explains that ministry. Explains it in three ways. First, he says that he is the shepherd who knows. Verse, latter portion of verse 14 and the first half of verse 15, Jesus says, I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. There's something beautiful when you don't need to introduce yourself or someone doesn't need to introduce themselves to you. You ever receive one of those text messages from a number that is not in your contact list? 
And how about when you receive one of those text messages and they're asking you something? They're asking you to respond. Maybe they're inviting you to do something. What do you do when you're not quite sure who this person is that is texting you? It's awkward. You have to ask them, I'm sorry, I don't have you in my contact list. Who is this? Remember a little further back when texting was not our primary mode of communication, when we actually talked to one another on telephones? And you remember even further back when we had phones that did not identify a person when they called? <laughs> How did we begin conversations way back then? We introduced ourselves. Hey, so-and-so, this is James. What do you think about... We introduced ourselves so that we would make a connection. But you know what? When I call my wife, when I call my children, I don't introduce myself. Because there's connection, there's relationship, there's intimacy. Do you know what changes when we don't have to introduce ourselves? Do you know what changes when we know the voice on the other end of the line? Everything changes. We celebrate history, we celebrate intimacy, and Jesus is telling us something profound here, that He is a deeply relational, intimate Savior who knows our voice. And if we are His own, we know His. When Jesus speaks this way about relationship, He's exposing those who don't. It's awkward when we get that text and we don't know who's on the other line. Jesus is exposing those who don't know His voice, but He's also encouraging those who do. He's drawing. Those whom he is calling to himself. The good shepherd knows. The good shepherd also sacrifices. Verses 15, verse 15, B, Jesus says simply yet profoundly, I lay down my life for the sheep. When we think of a sacrificial leader, what do we think about? We think about somebody who sacrifices their time. We think about somebody who sacrifices their resources. Jesus isn't merely sacrificing his time. He's not merely sacrificing his resources. Jesus is sacrificing himself. Jesus is laying down his life for the sheep. And he does it voluntarily. No one forces him to do that. He speaks of that. He lays his life down that he might take it up again. It is of his will and accord with the ordained will of his father. Was the, the lamb was always supposed to be the sacrifice. The lamb was the heart of the sacrificial system because the lamb was the one that was sacrificed. But Jesus reversed it all. And this is why he is not a good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. This is how he provides access for the sheep. This is how he provides access for us. The good shepherd became the sacrificial lamb and laid down his life for the sheep. How 
you and I receive forgiveness. This is how you and I find reconciliation with the Father. This is how you and I find life, a life that is given to us by His grace, received through faith alone, in Christ alone. The one who is just and the one who is justifier, the one who laid down his life for the sheep. And thirdly, our good shepherd, he did all of this to expand the sheepfold. Verse 16, speaking to the Jews, he says this, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Jesus is speaking to the Jews, to the Jewish leaders, and he's prophesying. He's not prophesying. He's claiming the Gentiles. Those people that the Jews thought were different, unwanted, unlovely, unclean, saying they are mine as well. I came for them just as I came for you. He told it to them and with very few exceptions as I look around this room. He's speaking of us. He speaks of the Gentiles. If you are in Christ, he's speaking of you. But he's also speaking to us. We are the unlovely. We are the unwanted. We are the unclean. And Jesus has laid his life down for us. And he's also laid down his life for those outside of these walls who we might be tempted to consider unlovely, unwanted, unclean. That is the ministry of the good shepherd who sacrificed himself to expand the sheepfold that there might be one. That we, with them, whoever them is, that we might experience the same intimacy, the same relationship in one sheepfold. And this way, Jesus who is the door, and Jesus who is the good shepherd, he gives life abundant. As we go back up to verse 10, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. How do you define abundant life? Abundance means much. Abundance means a great quantity of something. And so, for most of us, as we think about the abundant life, we define that abundant life in terms of that which we most desire. And so, if we most desire material wealth, then we define abundant life in the context of material wealth. If we most desire comfort, if we most desire affirmation, we define the abundant life in those terms. How does Jesus define abundant life? The answer might surprise you. Joy. So the ESV Study Bible makes, a, in the notes, speaks to this uh, description of the abundant life in ways that you and I need to hear, and I can't really improve upon them, so I'll share them with you. Jesus calls his followers not to a dour, lifeless, miserable existence that squashes human potential, but to a rich, 
full, joyful life, one overflowing with meaningful activities under the personal favor and blessing of God and in continual fellowship with his people. Why do you think that description was needed? Because we are tempted to swing the pendulum either to define abundance in terms of material wealth or to view the Christian life as a dour, miserable existence that one day will get better in heaven. That's not what Jesus promises. Jesus promises a life that is abundantly fruitful and a life that is abundantly joyful, a life that is abundantly communal. Is not defined by our personal desires, but rather is conformed to our abundant, joyous, life-giving Savior. Jesus defines abundance in terms of joy because Jesus defines abundance in terms of grace. John 1, 16 says this, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 says this, In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Beloved, Jesus is not stingy. Jesus pours Himself out in abundance, an abundance of grace, an abundance of himself. And in that abundance, there is security and freedom. The sheep go in and out because the love that is given us is the love given through his sacrifice and not our dutiful obedience. The abundant life is a life of intimate relationship, of secure freedom, of receiving and of following. As a young boy growing up on the farm, I learned a lesson from my father and from my grandfather. As a young child, I learned how to drive cattle. I was little. <laughs> but I learned that for some crazy reason, those big cows were afraid of me. And I learned to use that fear to my advantage. That when I wanted the cows to go over there, I got behind them with a stick and I drove them. Did you notice something? Jesus isn't driving the sheep. The sheep are following him. The sheep have come to know him. The sheep have come to know his gracious, abundant love. And they follow. In the beginning, we talked about tuning our hearts to hear. And the song that we hear fuels the song that we sing. Pharisees sang a song of, of man-centered, man-exalting duty and obligation. But Jesus sings a different song. Jesus sings the song of grace. And so, beloved, tune your hearts to hear him. And as we do so, uh, we will experience the joy of abundant living. Not only by hearing his song but by singing it. And so as we hear his life-giving voice, let us tune our voices to sing his grace, to sing his praise. Father, this is your word. I pray that you would open our hearts, that you would tune our hearts to hear it, to receive it, and to follow Jesus with lives of 
worship and praise with lives of joy, with lives of singing. Do this, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.